This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as the senior pastor of Cornerstone Church. Thank you so much for being here today with us. We're going to turn in the Bible to the letter, Paul's letter to the Galatians. I'd like you to be able to read along with us as we study some verses. So if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, either electronically or you have a copy, a book, a real Bible, raise your hand and our ushers will give you a free copy of the Scriptures. You can take it home with you today and, and you can follow along as we look today the letter of Paul to the Galatians. We began a series to celebrate the Reformation last Sunday. And so this is our second Sunday in the letter. And we're still in chapter 1. We're going to look today at verses 6 down through verse 10. So leave your hand up if you need a copy of the Scriptures. One church historian said this, this is the year of Martin Luther because 500 years ago next month, he had a major part in starting the, the Reformation. Martin Luther once said, let the man who would hear God speak read Holy Scripture. Let the man who would hear God speak read Holy Scripture. And what a privilege it is this morning for us together to read Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. For this is God's holy word. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel Contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? 
If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Lord, bless the reading of Your Word. I think our main point today is never desert Christ for any other Gospel. That's the theme, I think, from our text. Never desert Christ for any other Gospel. 500 years ago in 1517, around the time that Martin Luther posted his 95 thesis we talked about last week, he changed his name. He no longer signed himself Luder, L-U-D-E-R. That was his father's name. He took a new Greek name, Eleutherius. Eleutherius, the T-H in the middle. It means the freed one. And he used this name, he would sign this for several months. Luder, his father's name, was, one biographer said, a somewhat unfortunate name. In German, it has associations with immorality and looseness. Even when Luther stopped signing himself as Eleutherius, he kept the core of the name, the TH, and from then on called himself Luther. There you go. Now you learned something from our series. Prior to truly understanding the gospel and justification by faith alone, Luther once said, if I could believe that God was not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. To Martin Luther, the word righteousness meant that God was angry with him in spite of the fact that he was striving more than any other monk to please God. He was a monk of monks, we said last week. He called himself the freed one when he discovered the righteousness that comes by faith. We've been singing about it all morning. We read about it from the Heidelberg Catechism. When he discovered the righteousness that comes by faith, he called himself the freed one. He discovered the gospel. He discovered that God was not angry with him because of Jesus Christ. He had a Savior. It was a theological breakthrough that transformed his life. He understood now, finally, grace. He was free from the law. He called it a Pauline moment, a point in which he understood that man could be saved through faith alone. It was an emotional transformation. It changed everything. It was Luther's Reformation discovery. One biographer said this, describing how burdened he had been by the thought of the punishing justice of God, the idea that the righteous shall live by faith alone had struck him, Luther, like a thunderbolt in the monastery's privy tower where his study was situated. As he put it, this art, and what he meant by art, 
was the insight into righteousness by faith alone that opened up the Reformation. This art the Holy Spirit gave me, revealed it to him on the cloaca, the potty. That is Martin Luther. That is so Martin Luther. This art, this insight the Holy Spirit gave me on the potty. Theologians talk about his privy tower revelation. You'll know what they're talking about. It was clear that, that Luther wanted his audience to be struck by the contrast between the importance of the revelation and the lowly place where it occurred. Luther said this, I beat persistently upon Paul at that place, Romans 1, 16, 17, most ardently desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, quote, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely, by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness. He'll talk about that a lot. The righteousness you receive by faith versus the active righteousness, the, the righteousness you earn by works. The passive righteousness with which the merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Luther says, here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. A Lutherius discovered the free grace of God. He became the freed one. He changed his name. This is why we are celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. It, it was a work of God. It began with that man on the potty. It was a revelation. It was a revival. It was birthed by the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The hero of the Reformation was the gospel. That's why we're celebrating it. And that's why Paul is so angry with the believers in the churches in Galatia. They were deserting this. They were deserting Christ. They were being tempted by these false teachers. It's why we need courage to never desert Christ for any other gospel. So let's look at this text. Three points. Deserting Christ. Distorting the gospel. Demanding a protest. Note the three D's. I worked hard for that. Deserting. Distorting. Demanding. Number one, deserting Christ. Verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
This is the situation that Paul is addressing in this letter. It's an urgent letter. Paul is engaged in a battle for the gospel. There's no, thank God for you Galatians. He jumps into his astonishment. He's distressed at the direction these churches, these Christians are headed. Their only hope of salvation is the gospel, and he is astonished. And his astonishment serves as a rebuke to the churches there. And, and note he says in verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly, so quickly. He's writing within a year or so of his first missionary journey. You can read about in Acts 13 and 14. When he first went to this region, preached the gospel, led the Galatians to Christ, formed these churches, planted these churches. It's within a year. And they're, they're deserting Christ. It's understandable. He's amazed. He's genuinely surprised that they are so quickly being tempted to exchange the true gospel. There's a, there's a, a lesson here for us. It's probable Paul has in mind the golden calf incident in the book of Exodus. Exodus 32 says, the Lord said to Moses, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. The Israelites. The Lord had spoke to Moses, given them the Ten Commandments, and they made a golden calf. They have turned aside quickly, the Lord said, out of the way that I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf, have worshipped it, sacrificed to it, and said, these are our gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Galatians seem to be doing the same thing. They're departing from the Lord shortly after being delivered. So let's pause and learn. We are prone to wonder. That's why we sing, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's, it's important. We have these things in God's Word and God is speaking today because it's helpful to keep this before us. It's a theme repeated throughout Scripture. If you think about it, there'll be, there'll be more times that this happened than Exodus and Galatians. It, it'll help us avoid Peter's mistake. Remember that? In Matthew 26, Jesus said to His disciples, you will all fall away because of Me this night. Because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He quotes the Old Testament prophecy that speaks specifically to this. And yet, Peter responds to him and says, Oh no, Lord, you're wrong. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. They all agreed with Peter, will never fall away. And of course, they all did. They all deserted him. We need to learn this lesson. We need to recognize 
that the Israelites were prone to wonder, Jesus' disciples were prone to wonder, the Galatians were prone to wonder, and we are prone to wonder. Even after we become believers, we're prone to wonder, even though our lives are changed by the gospel. No matter how much we love the good news, many things can draw us away. The sinfulness of our own hearts, the world, Satan, we have an enemy, his schemes, even good things can draw us away and cloud the glory of God in the face of Christ. Thomas Schreiner, a New Testament theologian, writes this, we must continue to uphold the gospel of grace that was formulated so clearly by Luther, Calvin, and the other reformers. The clarity and truth of the gospel could easily be lost. So many other things may clutter our minds, hearts, and lives that we may forget about the gospel. Thinking all the time that we have not strayed from it. In our churches, for example, we may begin to concentrate on what it means to be good parents, to have a good marriage, to form meaningful relationships, and to make an impact in the world. All good things, of course. So that we slowly and inadvertently drift away from the gospel of free grace. When we notice this proneness to wonder. When you notice this, don't be frightened. Don't be discouraged. It's encouraging to know. Expect it. Expect it. He will hold you fast. And one way He will do this is by making you aware you are prone to wonder. It's a call to fight. In Galatians, we see the influence of false teaching and false teachers. And, and these teachers swayed the Galatians with their knowledge of the Old Testament, of the Scriptures. They really knew the Scriptures. And it swayed them. It encouraged them to desert Christ. These false teachers, their knowledge of God's words was persuasive. But Paul says, I, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who, note, called you in the grace of Christ. Him who called you, you're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. God is the one who called them. This is, this is a favorite way that Paul speaks about conversion. God calls us in the grace of Christ. The gospel is preached to all, but only some we know among all those who hear the message respond. Why do they respond? This is what John was talking about this morning in his encouragement to participate in the class. Why do they respond? Why did you respond? Because God called you. God calls them, the Galatians. God calls us in the grace of Christ. To be called means to be someone that God has chosen. 
This is made explicit in 1 Corinthians 1. Listen carefully. For Jews demand signs and Greek seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What makes the difference? God's calling. Verse 26, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose. Calling is about God's choice. God chose what is foolish in the world. That's me and you, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world, to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. The gospel was preached. We responded, why? Because of God's effective calling. God chose us. Calling occurs through the preaching of the gospel, but only some of those who hear the gospel are called. Calling refers to God's work, God's effective work in bringing some of those who hear the gospel to saving faith. God chooses what is foolish. It's necessary because all of us, all people, are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins prior to this call. God's calling them in the grace of Christ. Prior to that, we're dead. He calls life into being where no ability to produce life exists. The spiritually dead cannot respond to the gospel. Theologian and Nobel laureate Bob Dylan once wrote a song that captures this well. He said in his song, Saved. I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined, stone cold dead. As I stepped out of the womb, by his grace I have been touched. By His Word I have been healed. By His hand I've been delivered. By His Spirit I've been sealed. Oh, I want to sing this so bad. Back. I've been saved by the blood of the land, and I'm so glad. I want to thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Now, you may not be a Bob Dylan fan. I feel very sorry for you. But Martin Luther would have said a hearty amen to the theology of that song. He would say that song, those words contain important theology that are foundational to the gospel. He wrote a book on this subject called The Bondage of the Will. Towards the end of his life, he didn't care anything about any of his works. And I mean, he wrote volumes. He said, the only two that I want to see stick around that I would care about being published 500 years from now are the bondage of the will and his catechism. He felt that message 
was critical to the Gospel. We are born ruined by sin. Stone cold dead when we step out of the womb. For Luther, this issue of man's bondage to sin and his moral inability to believe or make himself right was the root issue of the Reformation. That's why he loved the message of the bondage of the will. And notice how it gives glory to God. Dylan is exactly right. The only proper response is, I'm so glad. I want to thank you, Lord. The false teachers who were troubling the Galatians didn't teach the bondage of the will. They taught the freedom of the will. They were false. Our salvation doesn't depend on our works. They taught you could be saved by works. But our works do not. Our works cannot save us. It's the grace of God. God chose you and called you. And so you believed. The Galatians are turning away from the free grace of the Gospel to law, to circumcision. And Paul sees this is no Gospel at all. Number two, distorting. Deserting Christ. Number two, distorting the Gospel. Verse 7, he wants to clarify. There is no other Gospel. So he says, not that there is another one. So in verse 6, he talked about a different gospel. So he wants to clarify that there is, there is only one gospel. There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Some people are disturbing the churches. They want to alter the true gospel. But there is no other gospel. This false gospel is not good news. It is no gospel at all. The false teachers are agitating, confusing. They're troubling the churches by perverting and, and distorting the only gospel. They're of no help. And by following this teaching, the Galatians are deserting Christ. There are some people troubling them. They're causing them to question the gospel of free grace that Paul was preaching. The good news that he had brought to them and God had called them and they were born again like Luther and they made churches and there was so much joy and he will ask them about this later. What has happened to all your joy? These people came from outside the church and they're telling the churches Paul was wrong. They're distorting the gospel. They want to seduce the, the Galatians. They're altering the gospel by adding to it circumcision and submission to the Old Testament law. It's a distortion of the gospel because it's requiring Christians to add something to the cross of Jesus Christ. In addition to Christ, they have to adopt the requirements of the Mosaic Covenant. They still can have Christ, but they have to add to Christ. Paul says in verse 8, even if we, even if Paul, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel, a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. No matter who would preach it, if Paul preached a false gospel, don't receive it. 
Verse 9, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The gospel is unchangeable. It's a, it's a very serious thing to change the gospel. It's a very serious thing to add to the gospel. Paul says, we, we've said this before. When was that? When he first preached the gospel to them, he taught them. We've said this before. If anyone comes in and starts teaching another gospel, if they start adding to this gospel, let them be accursed. Now he's saying, we've, we've said this before, and two times he repeats himself, anyone who does this will be cursed anathema in the Greek. It's, this doesn't mean you're not going to win the lottery or that Tennessee's going to lose to Florida every year. This is eternal destruction. If you're a false teacher, you're going to be like the false prophets in the Old Testament. That's where this word comes from. If you proclaim a false gospel, you're going to be cursed eternally. Finally, number three, clearly this situation demands a protest. It demands a protest. Paul is protesting. Al Mohler, many of you know him, president of Southern Seminary. He says this, as Christians continue to face a stiff wind of opposition from false gospels and from the culture at large, we must continue to protest. We are Protestants. It's the Protestant Reformation. They were called that. It's called that. We are called that because they protested a false gospel. Scripture demands that we protest. We must protest every false gospel and every worldview that diminishes human flourishing. We must continue to hold fast to the core theological convictions of the Protestant Reformation and to the primacy and authority of Scripture. We must not fail in seeing Scripture rightly proclaimed, the church build up, the message of the gospel reaching every corner of the earth. As we approach the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, my hope is that the theology of the Reformers finds new life in the modern church. That's our prayer. We have to defend the gospel. We're going to face opposition. We do face opposition. And there is a cost. We, we take it for granted today about the truth and about the word. We can hardly imagine how much it costs people like Luther. How much it costs Paul. For Luther to break through to the truth and discover it but then also to be faithful to keep his commitment to Scripture alone. There was a cost. And Paul's getting at that in verse 10. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Paul's making statements with these two rhetorical questions. His desire is to please God. And he is willing to offend men. 
He's willing to be persecuted for this gospel. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. If Paul desired to please people, if he was seeking the approval of people, he would have never become a faithful minister of Jesus Christ. He would never become a follower of Christ if he was a people pleaser. Let that sink in. He says in chapter 5, if I brothers still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. He's being persecuted because he's preaching the cross of Jesus Christ. So throughout this letter, he will make it clear, I'm not a people pleaser. He's made it clear he's not a people pleaser when he's cursing these false teachers. People pleasers don't do that. He fears God. The cross offends. Preaching the cross is always opposed, whether you're Paul, the Reformers, or Christians in the 21st century. It, it always offends. It's always an offense. It's always a stumbling block. Paul's being persecuted. He says in chapter 6 of this letter, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Like his Savior, he's been beaten because he preaches the truth. His, his body is marked. To be a Christian is to have these marks at some point. To, to be shamed. To not receive the approval of man. This is a very important verse for our church. If we would never desert Christ for another gospel. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. If we crave that approval, we will fail. We won't protest when protests are demanded. I remember when I graduated from the University of Tennessee, back in the day, it was a big, big day for my parents. They were excited about it when they came to the graduation and then they had a reception at the Chancellor's House in Sequoia Hills. If you're a guest, don't know about that, it's a nice place. Not, not the apartments where most of us live, but <laughs> where our people live. And the Chancellor lived in, in one of the nicest houses in Sequoia Hills, but opened it up that day to the graduates. And my mom and dad went with me to the chancellor's house to be a part of this reception at his house. And, and I remember very clearly being intimidated, being very afraid of what people thought, and being very concerned about making a good impression. And at one point we were inside and you're kind of interacting, networking. I wasn't really networking. I was a forestry major. You don't really network if you're a forestry major. But 
Getting free food is what I was there for. Bless my parents. And I remember looking around at one point and my dad wasn't there. He had gone out on the porch. And when I went out there, he was out on the porch and he had taken out his chewing tobacco and he was getting him a chew of tobacco at the chancellor's house in Sequoia Hills. I was shocked. I was dismayed. I just wanted to get a big sheet and cover him up and take him out to the car and go home. Of course, you know what happened. This is a true story. The chancellor came out on the porch, saw my dad chewing his tobacco. My dad never blinked. Never blinked. Ruth kept putting the chew in. And my, the chancellor loved that. I chew mail pouch too, he said. Welcome to Tennessee. <laughs> Even the chancellor chews tobacco. That's not the message. That's not the point of the illustration. The point is the fear of man. I learned a valuable lesson that day. My dad was not afraid of what people thought. He had lost everybody he loved except for his wife and kids. He'd been to World War II. He'd seen heartache. and He didn't care what people thought about him. And it freed him. He was the free one. I was in bondage. We have to be free from this common desire to be thought well of by men if we're going to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul is warning all believers here of the danger of trying to please men. Many people didn't follow Jesus Christ and believe in Him because of the fear of man. John says in his gospel, they lusted for the glory and praise of people more than the glory of God. Jesus said, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? John sums up Jesus' ministry like this. Many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So in conclusion, courage is required if we would never desert Christ for any other gospel. John Piper recently wrote, I don't want to be a comfort-seeking, entertainment-addicted, security-craving, approval-desiring Christian. Well, if you share that desire, it's going to take courage. We're going to need to fear God rather than people. We're going to need to be courageous to be servants of Christ in the 21st century. Many today embrace pluralism as a philosophy. They believe that salvation can be granted through all religions. Any religion's okay. As long as it isn't exclusive. But the gospel is exclusive. There is no other good news. It's going to take courage in this century where tolerance is valued. 
And people like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Paul are viewed as rigid and wrong and out of date. Paul's curses here in our text would be considered at at best ill-mannered, lacking love, maybe even hate speech. We're going to have to have courage. There is no other gospel, and we're going to have to have courage to preach that fact. That's the truth. There is only one name by which we can be saved. People can come to God only through Christ. If we don't tell them that, we're going to mislead people. We're going to give them a false false assurance. What could be more unloving? It's so much easier to say nothing. Father, help us, Lord. We pray today for the spiritual gift of courage. Oh, Lord, let us be courageous. Let us make a stand for Christ today. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask You to manifest Your presence, Lord, and keep us safe, Lord. Let us never desert Christ. Let us never distort the Gospel. Lord, help us to be delivered from the fear of people so that when a protest is demanded, Lord, we protest. Do that, Lord, by the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message by Bill Kittrell given during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.